You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Hey, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you feel like you've been coughing a lot or maybe you have a case of black lung, it could be the laser printer that's next to where you sit at work. You wouldn't really know this, but when laser printers print, they create this cloud of toner in the air, which can lead to something called siderosilicosis, which is the same respiratory disease that coal miners get. I probably said the name of that disease wrong, by the way, because I'm not an expert in black lung, but I do know that sitting near a laser printer is not a great idea, and there are actually studies out there pointing out which brands and which models create more dust than others. So if you're stuck in the mailroom next to the laser printer, uh, hold your breath. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's guests are not strangers to Bulletproof Radio or to Bulletproof in general because we have Jamie Wheel, the executive director of the Flow Genome Project, and Stephen Kotler who is a New York Times bestselling author. And both of these guys are the men behind the Flow Genome Project. 
Stephen was the keynote speaker at last year's 2014 annual Bulletproof Biohacking Conference. And we're planning this coming conference as well. So you can sign up for it now at bulletproofconference.com. What's what drove me to ask these guys to come and to not only to have Steven speak about you know, the rise of Superman and how we get into a flow state, but Jamie was there as well. And Jamie helped to build an amazing adult playground. We had a 20 foot tall swing where you could swing all the way upside down and literally scare the crap out of yourself in order to push yourself over into a state of flow. And a bunch of other things that just create uniqueness and create neurochemistry that for people who attended the conference, they actually got to hack their flow state in, in person. So Jamie is the creator of some of this stuff, and Jamie and Stephen have partnered in the Flow Genome Project, which is there to crack the kind of genetic, it's not really genetic, but to crack the code of what makes people go into a flow state, because it's so important for what makes us human. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you guys on the show. Thanks for coming in. For people who haven't heard our previous podcast together, can you guys just walk through what is a flow state? Like, give me the precise definition of it and why people should care about flow states if they're not supreme athletes or something. For sure. So the, the technical definition of flow is an optimal state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best, right? So flow refers to those moments of total absorption. We get so sucked in by the task at hand that action and awareness start to merge and everything else just disappears. So your sense of self vanishes, time passes strangely. Sometimes it slows down, other times it can speed up and throughout all aspects of performance go through the roof, right? And while flow is most traditionally associated with athletics being in the zone, runners high, all those terminologies, it's actually ubiquitous. It shows up in anyone, anywhere, provided certain initial conditions are met. And it doesn't really matter where it shows up, wherever it shows up, it massively amplifies performance. So flow is a, a state of mind uh, or a state of being. There's neurochemicals involved, but the commonality is that it makes you kick more ass, whether you're skiing or whether you're giving a speech or writing a poem. Accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and in fact, uh, you know, we've just just crunched the numbers on one of our um, big citizen science projects, which is helping you know over six thousand people around the world take a test and figure out what their flow profile is. And you know, we have sort of four different personality types. One is a hard charger, which would be the sort of quintessential Red Bull athlete, adrenaline sport junkie, right? Which most people think of, um, but also kind of the flow goer, the kind of more yoga and meditation type person, um, the sort of crowd pleaser, which would be the person, you know, the classic extrovert that gets their juice from immersing themselves in, you know, a TED conference or a concert or, or a fraternity or sorority or football game. But what's interesting is that 48% of that 6,000 people around the world that have taken our flow profile to date test as deep thinkers. So they actually get into flow not through any of the, the kind of flashy, uh, splashy stuff, um, but actually through quiet, considered reflection, creation. So this could be someone who is an artist. This could be someone who's a computer coder or a programmer, someone who is a, a solitary musician, um, someone who enjoys gardening, hiking, walking. So it's been fascinating for us to realize that despite where our own passions are and have come from in our roads to flow, that actually almost half of, of the folks out there who have experienced it um, actually come to it through the quiet and creative um, introspective pursuits. Uh, so that's the first misconception about flow that a lot of people have. Um, 
partly probably Stephen because you're always you know, trying to catch up to all those professional skiers you like to hang out with on the slopes, um, and just because of this idea of athletic flow, you know, running until you drop into the ground in some sort of a flow state. So. If a huge number of people are getting into flow from a cognitive perspective, we're saying there's a state that may or may not be tied to what you're doing physically with your body, that may or may not be tied to your brain. So then what are the, rather than what causes flow, but what are the core elements of flow that anyone listening to this podcast could care about? Because I'm going to, after you tell me that, I'm going to talk about why I'm actually backing the Flow Genome Project, uh, because it's, it's pretty big news, at least from where I sit. So, so what's, what are these common things that everyone's going to get out of it? What, are, what does it have in it, whether you're a skier or whether you know, you're a coder or whether you, you just want to do whatever your art is best? So here's what we know, Dave. We know... And you mentioned a lot of things go on in the brain, right, in, during flow. There's lots of changes, including, as you mentioned, this kind of profound neurochemical cocktail. As a result of that neurochemical cocktail, flow massively amplifies motivation. It's now kind of referred to as the source code of intrinsic motivation, which is a fancy way of saying the state is really, really addictive. It feels really, really good. It's very, very addictive. Whatever produces the state, we want more of it, right? Motivation is fun. I mean, think about what's going on in American work today. In a recent Gallup poll, 71% of American workers are disengaged or actively disengaged on the job, right? They hate what they do with their lives, essentially. The other 29% have jobs that produce flow. They can't wait to get back to work. They're charging into their day, right? So motivation is fundamental. Creativity is massively amplified in flow. And what that really means under the hood is we take in more information per second and we make connections between that information more quickly and we make more long distance connections, right? So in studies, uh, done, that we've done at the Flow Genome Project, people are reporting a 500 to 700% boost in creativity in flow. So it's a massive uptick. And this has been, uh, other people have found up with, found similar numbers and even better with creativity. Teresa Mobley at Harvard figured out that heightened creativity outlasts the flow state itself. So it'll extend it to the next day, the day after, which suggests flow may actually train the brain to be more creative over the long haul. So you've got motivation, you've got creativity. Most importantly, flow accelerates learning, right? The more neurochemicals that show up during an experience, the better chance that experience moves from short-term holding into long-term storage. Flow, this huge neurochemical cocktail that we talked about, sort of cements things automatically. So for example, studies run by the US military and our friends at Advanced Brain Monitoring figured out that soldiers in flow, snipers in flow, learn 200 to 500% faster than normal. When they redid that experiment with novice marksmen, they found the time it took to train a novice up to the expert level in flow was cut in half. Flow can amplify learning 500%, right? Malcolm Gladwell's fable, 10,000 hours to mastery. The research shows that flow can cut them in half. So for anybody out there today doing anything, motivation, learning, creativity, is astounding. We also know, and this is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's research from back in the 60s and 70s, so this has been extremely well validated. Essentially, the people who have the most flow in their lives score off the charts for life satisfaction and well-being. It's, you could basically say they're the happiest people on earth, though happiness is a kind of a misnomer because it's in the moment and this is kind of overall meaning and life satisfaction. That seems a little bit valuable. <laughs> So, so people have gone literally to the ends of the earth. I'm thinking particularly of surfers uh, who really value flow and they get their flow from sort of 
engaging all of their faculties in, in looking for you know, the next set and figuring out what wave and where to be and then being in it and that that kind of an environment people will literally go put on a dry suit and surf in, in tofino uh, on the island where i live where it's basically arctic waters all the way down to you know guatemala where the coffee comes from it, it, it doesn't matter like you can follow those waves anywhere because it's so important they're willing to like drop everything and change your life because you want to be in that state the mission of making it easier for people to be in that state without having to fly to Central America or without having to drop everything and being able to do what you want to do and still be in a flow state, it, it seems like one of the most precious things out there, which is why I, I've actually formally backed you guys with a syndicate on AngelList. So if you're listening to this and you're an investor um, on AngelList, this is actually something you can back. And the reason that I backed it and the reason that I'm backing specifically Stephen and Jamie is that this idea that it can be easier <laughs> is a core part of everything that I do because I'm really lazy. And it's a strategic laziness where I don't want to spend more time. I don't value struggle. <laughs> I only value struggle if it was the minimum amount of struggle for the maximum amount of learning or gain. But if we can remove the struggle or at least reduce it significantly to allow ourselves to be in this kind of magic flow state more, this has broad reaching societal implications uh, that go beyond whether you, know, you want to kick ass all day. Uh, it goes uh, down to, you know, do we want to live in a world where most people kick ass most of the time? Because I think that would be a very different place than the world we live in now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and to demystify it, because it, it, you know, the truth claims do sound almost outrageous. And, and the simple thing, as Stephen was pointing out, you know, the research is increasingly in um, that it is, you know, the sort of sufficiently advanced technology that looks like magic um, is actually just technologies. It's just techniques. And so think of it more as sort of just a fifth gear on a car. It's still the same motor. It's still the same, it's still the same road, but you are able to move faster and more efficiently when you can access this state on demand. And, and, and the thing that's, you know, to just to connect the dots back, Dave, to your original talk about, you know, the athletes being, you know, they were the subject of Stephen's Rise of Superman, um, and yet not everybody gets to flow that way. Um, but what we're really fascinated by is that, you know, the action sports athletes did seem to get into flow, you know, faster, more often, and more predictably with greater results than almost any other population on Earth. And after doing all of that research and interviewing them, we came to the conclusion that it was you know, due to, to three reasons, which is that they were in very rich environments. So they were fun, engaging, stimulating, and novel which does a whole lot of things on the neurochemistry. Um, they were in positions of deep embodiment, meaning that they weren't just heads on sticks, right? They were actually engaging their proprioception, you know, their arms and limbs in space. They were engaging their vestibular sense, which weighs up, right? And they were feeling the forces of gravity. And lastly, back to the for feeling the forces of gravity, they were in environments where there were high consequences. So there's no lunching in a high-consequence environment, and it forces your attention into the immediate now. And so those three capabilities, the rich environment, the deep embodiment, and the high consequence, that have become the sort of core pillars of our curriculum, and they are translatable to a lot of different environments and situations that everybody can gain access to. So creating high consequences is basically shorthand for saying um, you could die. <laughs> right. Well, for those guys, right? For those guys, but not for us. So what's a high consequence for someone who's not a pro athlete or an extreme, you know, motocross guy or something? Like what's a high consequence for a business guy in a flow state? Great example. 
So your brain cannot tell the difference between social fear and physical fear. Physical risk and social risk, they're processed by the exact same structures in the brain. So for action adventure sport athletes, you need to take physical risks, right? Laird Hamilton has to paddle into a 50-foot wave at Jaws to pull the high-consequent trigger, right? But for the average business guy, they just have to stand up at the business meeting and start talking, right? Because <laughs> the brain can't tell the difference between physical fear and social fear, which sounds crazy until you realize that go back two, 300 years, if you get banished from the tribe, right? You screw up socially and get banished, it's capital punishment. You, nobody survived outside of the community. So we process these things in the same place. So the cool thing about the physical risk that the action adventure sport athletes use is you can hack it by taking emotional risk, creative risk, social risk. It doesn't have to be physical. And more importantly, in the environment that we're creating, the Flow Dojo, which is the project you're backing on Angel's List, right? We created the Flow Dojo so we could create an environment where we could put people into a high degree of perceived risk, a rich environment, and a and trigger deep embodiment in the same environment. But if we essentially are suspending the consequences of gravity. Anybody can play on our equipment. And, you know, at your conference, I think there were kids as young as 10, all the way up to people in their 60s and 70s who were playing on our equipment and getting kicked into the flow as a result of these triggers. Well, building sort of a mini flow dojo in uh, in the conference, like one whole end of the conference hall was basically these giant structures. And there's videos of me on, I don't remember which, which big TV network, but I, I'm in this giant human uh, gyroscope, which is an amazing workout, but you're spinning upside down, you're spinning backwards. And in our bodies, when you're spinning backwards without being able to see what's behind you, it creates a real sense of discomfort, which it's supposed to, because you could be falling backwards off a cliff or into the jaws of a tiger. Uh, so we feel comfortable moving forward and uncomfortable moving upside down and backwards. But to do that over and over with all sorts of weird gravitational pulls, it really does stress the body, but it's a positive kind of stress that makes the brain do something different. And you know, watching uh, that uh, the 10-year-old you know, ride basically a, a skateboard-like swing in a in a pyramid kind of structure where there's uh, uh, strange things being projected on the walls it's it's incredibly visually stimulating and, and you can see from the hundreds of people who tried out the equipment that all of them are having an altered state experience and and a beneficial one um, and I, I I believe that in fact I don't have to believe you can just know high performance for human beings is an altered state because if it wasn't altered it wouldn't be high like average performance is a non-altered state so what you're doing though is trying to tease out the very definition of that state and then all the inputs that might create it and I think you've already done a huge amount of science there but turning that science into a, a set of, of basically flow dojo things where do this then do this then do this and then you're going to be in the state and that unlocks your ability to create your ability to to function and perform um, at whatever it is that you like to do so you know may, maybe someday we'll see you know aerosmith uh, you know go to the flow dojo before they go on stage because it unlocks that extra bit of, of creativity or something like that is that the vision or is there do i have it quite right because i mean i i'm a backer but i don't necessarily know all of the guts of, of the things you guys are thinking about but Fast forward to 2020 when we've cracked the flow genome, you know all this stuff. How are we going to use it? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, j just and again to, to orient listeners who haven't seen some of the visuals, you know, picture a, a sort of a series of giant geodesic domes, uh, you know, and inside it's sort of, you know, equal parts Cirque du Soleil meets X Games uh, with a quantified self layer on top of it. So everything that's going on is being tracked with real-time neuro and biometrics. So, so just the baddest-ass training incubator for sort of Iron Man slash, you know, slash Starfleet Academy. So that's 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 the intent, right? Is to create this. You, you just totally lost my grandmother. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, both with what you're saying and what you're describing. Yeah. So, like, how how applicable is this to most people in the country? Well, I, th I mean, that's the whole point, right? Our mission is to take the, ex you know, to take the extreme to the mainstream. So say, you know, those action sports athletes, they have these wonderful, rich experiences, and they level up their body-brain connections and their ability to access these states more or less at will. For the rest of us who might be a little more squeamish, a little more averse to hospitals, giant risk-taking, don't have the equipment, skills, or knowledge, right? The whole point of the Flow Dojo is, is to let everybody learn to play again and you can make a case that you know what is it what is a functioning definition of play right it's fundamentally the ability to make mistakes without fear right it's just rapid iteration and that's true in lean startup silicon valley it's true when i'm learning to do a new dance move it's true you know as steven said most of us as we get past our 20s we get a little fear resistant risk averse right we don't want to look like fools or hurt ourselves right and so we just stop we stop playing which is really just rapid cycle time learning so in the dojo, the intention is to, yes, there's the sort of daring young man on the flying trapeze you know, effect you know, when everybody goes to Cirque du Soleil and plunks down 150 bucks just to watch and imagine. Well, we're saying, let's stop just imagining. Let's get out of the audience and let's start being participants. And so one of the key components of our equipment design and progressions is that, yeah, you get inspired, but there is an on-ramp. Wherever you are, there is a place to start. And it starts with rehabilitation, because most of us have accumulated the bumps and scrapes and imbalances of life. And then it goes to integration, meaning let's add some complexity and let's kind of start upping the challenge level. And then ultimately to transformation. What's new next or different that none of us could have anticipated? And one other point, Dave, that's, that's worth making is Flow is essentially a focusing skill, right? It's a very particular way of training the brain to focus, to drive attention into the now and to marshal a bunch of resources. But the more flow you have, the more flow you have. So it, you know, when I go out as a skier onto the hill and I get into flow, it means that the next day when I come back to my computer and I sit down to write, it's easier for me to get into the skill. I've strengthened those muscles, right? So the flow you're getting in the dojo, right, while you're playing, while we're using these kind of triggers that we know are really robust, translates the next day and the day after and the day after until you come back to the dojo to train again, right? So the skills immediately transfer out. It's not like, oh, wow, I can get into the flow in the dojo, but I can't do it in the real world. One supports the other. That makes sense. So, so once you're more comfortable with the flow state, it's easier to get into it. And my own experience is that way. I, I tend to go into state of flow when I'm giving like a public presentation. Um, so I, I, I can just bring in things are easier than they otherwise would be. And partly that comes from training and it's a state that I know that I, I can help to generate. Um, but it helps to have some social risk where like if you go up on stage and you don't know what to say and you look like an idiot, well, then it doesn't feel very good. So... I, I'm still though, let, let's, my grandmother, she's 94 and uh, I visited her last week. She was watching videos on calculus. 
Um, I'm not kidding. And actually there was like a YouTube video where they were like doing equations and graphing them out and she was having a great time, um, which actually probably puts her in a flow state, but doesn't put me in a flow state. So if you're watching, hey grandma, <laughs> but let's go down a, a level to my mom, right? So she's about 60, she has a, a cane, is the Flow Genome Project going to be something that, that people there or people who are, you know, 50 but not necessarily in at all physical shape, you know, carrying an extra 40 pounds like half of Americans, are, are they going to be able to take advantage of this? Or is this sort of like, you know, you need to be young and lean and strong? Like, like and I'm kind of wondering, where's the upper limit or, or how would you apply this new set of knowledge that, that we're generating to helping people of all shapes and sizes and ages? Like, where are the bounds to the, to the, the benefits that come from this? Sure. So the, the Scandinavians have a, have a beautiful concept. It's known as three-generational play. So they're starting to build in a lot of urban centers, a lot of learning parks and that kind of stuff. Basically, you know, quote-unquote playground or physical fitness equipment that, you know, that children, parents, and grandchildren can all use and, and derive value from. And, cool. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and, and so we very much subscribe to that. And the idea is that, um, as we said, every, everything starts, everything we do. So yes, there's the big kind of flashy extreme playground equipment that we have and it's wired for light and sound and biometrics so that we're not having to look at our watch to see what our you know fuel points are or something goofy like that we're just experiencing it in the moment right um, so yeah those, those are kind of the obvious things that people think about when they think about the flow dojo but the real point is to say hey how do we become fully integrated alive and alert in these bodies and brains of ours and it's not that that's the only thing to do to make performance happen. It's just generally a weak link when most of us spend most of our days, you know, heads on sticks, sitting and staring at screens and that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's a huge place of maximum leverage. And, and so our goal is to say, hey, look, can you bring your, you know, can, can we rehabilitate our bodies and brains, then can we up the ante and start progressing? And ultimately, can we get to places of, as Stephen was saying, those places of heightened creativity, inspiration, and connection? So it's, I mean, to give you a couple of examples, uh, you guys, you mentioned the, the, young, uh, the young boy who came to your Bulletproof conference, dragged his parents, did all that wonderful stuff, and spent every morning, you know, in fact, every day, surfing on that surf swing where you go back and forth. He loved it. Uh, we had a woman who was in her probably mid to late 50s who had told us that she had been uh, a very high-performing athlete at an earlier stage in her life, had had some, as you know, very much uh, in line with some of your advocacy, Dave, had had an exposure to some, chem to some chemicals uh, in her later years that just rocked her world, and she had not been able to move or be in any way comparable to what she had in the past. And she got on that swing and struggled, as most folks do when they just first get used to sort of novel motion, and then something clicked for her. And when it clicked, she started crushing it. And I mean, she was skying. She was getting as high up and back on that thing as possible. Her face lit up and beamed. When she got off, she had tears down her face. And she said, I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten that I could move like that, and I never thought I could again. And so literally, the movement of her body unlocked memories and a knowing in her self-system that she hadn't had access to until she had a safe way to, to basically get sensations and motor inputs that normally would require a roll of the dice and risk. So that was beautiful. And then there was, a, there was an army ranger who uh, showed up in a wheelchair and you know, he, he had been clipped by an IED in Afghanistan. And he was just you know, drawn, to the, drawn to the music, the commotion, the interest, the fun. And um, you know, we reached out to him and said, hey, you know, how can we find a way to help you play? 
and we ended up bringing him over to one of the stations where there's cup stacking, which is sort of almost upside down juggling with solo cups is, is the quickest <laughs> descriptor of it, but it's, but it's, but it's with, you know, it's more, slightly more advanced equipment and there's, you know, touch pads for times. So you get measured down to the hundredth of a second how quickly you can build and take these patterns down. And we had EEG headsets on, so he was able to wear an EEG headset to be able to track his neuroelectric activity that was nudging him into a flow state while performing a fine motor task right against skills and challenges. So our big invitation is it is quite literally a big tent. It is the permission for everyone to play. And there is an, the idea is inspire all of us with the feats of the avatars, the incredible folks, the double, trip, the double black backflip off the cliff, or the freehold breath divers, or you know the amazing things that humans do, and then say, hey, if you're inspired, you want to play, here's the on-ramp, and there's a spot for you to begin. That, that's really well put, and, and the fact that you're bringing up the cup stacking, there's all sorts of fine motor skills that if you do them with a time pressure, that can also put you in, in a flow state. Um, what do you think of poker? Is, is that one of those things? Yeah, my, my, our buddy Ray first would absolutely ag agree. <laughs> yeah, there, there seems to be a tremendous amount of poker and flow. And, you know, one of the things you notice more in flow, right? Because you're, you're, you're literally, you, there's norepinephrine and dopamine. These are focusing chemicals, right? So you're taking in more information per second, right? So you're literally, if you're in flow and you're playing against the competition, it's a huge edge. And there's also better pattern recognition in flow. So yeah, there's, there's a huge edge. So yes, the flow dojo will train up your poker game. Uh-huh. I, I coach several world champion poker players, like world series of poker guys, uh, elite guys uh, on human performance. And yeah, like they're into the whole, like how do I make my nervous system work better? And how do I expand my perception? And how do I, I be in that state? Because it, it is a high consequences thing. Like, oh, I just lost a million dollar hand. Like that kind of sucks. You know, I could have been number one, but I made one bad decision. So I, I think it's that high consequence that does it. But uh, when I'm looking at things that are sedentary, but mentally uh, challenging, I'm, I'm guessing chess might be another thing that could put people in flow. Yeah, there's actually uh, the very first uh, EEG study ever done on flow was done on chess masters. Ah, that makes so much sense. And you can almost see someone who's really engrossed in a task go somewhere else. But then the other obvious thing would be video gaming, right? Yeah, and, and Red Bull's doing a lot of studies. They're calling them digital athletes now. <laughs> and, and they do all kinds of studies. And, and there's, I think there's a certain game that's really popular in South Korea, and I'm going to mangle it. It's something, something too, and it's basically like multi-dimensional galactic chess. Mortal, they get, Mortal Kombat too. That you know, but I mean, these, these dudes like they they carry their keyboards around in like violin cases, like they're Stradivarius. Wow. It's, it's unreal. But they were basically measuring them at Red Bull on the number of rapid decision makings and, and and fine motor movements they were executing in a minute, and it was something north of six thousand discrete tasks or activities. So it's absolutely off the charts. And, and as far as the chess example, Josh Waitkin, I think is his name. He was the Searching for Bobby Fischer uh, feature. He wrote a great book called Art of Learning. And so, you know, to Stephen, to your point of the more flow you have, the more flow you have, and you're actually hardwiring your brain to be able to do that. He translated those early skills he had into, you know, a, a, an illustrious uh, martial arts career. And he's basically sort of making an argument that once you know how to crack the code in one domain, you can transfer it to anything else you do. The other obvious you know, non-physical manifestation of this would be uh, musicians. You know, d doing a jam, I, my dad's a, a bluegrass guy, much to my chagrin. And uh, <laughs> Friends don't let friends play the banjo, man. <laughs> uh, you, uh, banjo jokes, man, we could go all day, but 
Okay, I gotta tell you what. Right, what tool do you use to tune a banjo? I don't know, Dave, what tool? Wire cutters, all right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Dad. But what, uh, uh, what happens, you know, we, we, I've seen him host jams at his house, and, and what happens, these, these groups of people get together, and they're just making random music, but they're all going into flow state, and you can sort of see it. And like when, when everything syncs up, it, they, they'll describe, you know, time slows down, and, and all these things that are classical uh, things that are happening with flow. So why do they drive an, an hour and all get together on a Friday night to go do this? Because they're getting in a flow state and you know why do a bunch of teenagers get together hop on their mountain bikes drive two hours to the ski lift and then go 40 miles an hour downhill because of flow state why do people get together and play poker it, it, it's all there and we build this into our societal rituals but we don't know why we just kind of know that it feels good but if you guys can make that easier then maybe some of the high risk activities become still fun but less necessary or maybe it's just easier because you're like well I didn't have time to go to the ski slope today but I still was in a flow state and my life rocks and that's the kind of direction that I'm hoping that, that we take flow genome yeah, I mean, and that's and that's you know one of the one of the key parts. The tricky thing, right, is obviously if flow delivers us into these moments of blessed non-self-consciousness, we're no longer forcing it, right? The question is, is how on earth do you force something that's effortless, right? And so that's been the stickiest wicket of the whole project for a long, long time. And that's why there's the pop psychology and self-help movement. That's why you know there's the whole Western Zen things, like all you know, fundamentally all these efforts to get out of our own heads. And it's a really hard thing to do to get out of your head by using your head. And so one of the reasons that we you know, call our organization the Flow Genome Project is just like the Human Genome Project in Kreidventner, just like Pandora with their Music Genome Project and sort of unpacking the core components of songs to match them for things we like. Our, our interest is in what, what, are, what, are the, what is the genome of a flow state? What are those building blocks? The, what is the neuroelectric profile? What is the cardiac rhythm? What is the endocrine profile? What hormones are on or offline? What are the respiratory rhythms or practices I might be using? What is my postural awareness? And even what are my cognitive maps and models of how I make sense of life in the world? And, the, and our interesting thing is like by reverse engineering, that's not just a buzzword. We're literally saying, go do it backwards. Instead of using my ego, reading a self-help book to get rid of my ego, which is a very low hit rate, right? why not just optimize the knobs and levers in my self-system and then ding, see who's home and whose home is generally more resourceful. And it's that old adage, if you don't ever sort of answer the question, what is the meaning of life? You just stop asking it right? because you're so immersed in living it that it no, it's no longer a relevant inquiry. And that's what we're interested in. We're interested in helping relieve people of the sort of the, the, the narcissistic trap of self-reflection self, you know, self and just say, just go do it. Conduct the experiment and go have fun with it. So, so Craig Venter, when he said, I'm going to spend $100 million and sequence my own genome, probably wasn't sure how he was going to make a living doing that, but I think he already had like $100 million, so he was doing all right. I could be completely bastardizing that story, but the bottom line is I don't think there was a very clear business model. It was an academic model for the Human Genome Project, and it spun, spun out huge amounts of knowledge and information about humanity and massive drug discoveries and, and just more knowledge than I think we know what to do with right now, which is awesome and amazing. Um, 
But I had a chance to ask Craig uh, recently at a, a Peter Diamandis event, uh, and I said, so Craig, given all this knowledge that you have and this $100 million, um, could you give me some best practices today to keep me from, from you know, dying or something? Uh, or should we just drink pizza and beer until we have permanent proof? And his answer was, well, let's talk about that over pizza and beer. I, I don't want to give advice until I'm 100% certain. So number one, kudos to Craig for saying, let's have, let's talk about over pizza and beer because it was funny. Um, but the bottom line was, there's a bunch of behaviors that we think are pretty good and we can study those behaviors in, in the analogy here, there's a bunch of gene behaviors that we think are pretty good and some things we think change our genes. So we might as well do the things that are directionally maybe right. And it seems like with the flow state, you have a lot of similarities here because I don't think it's clear how the knowledge that you are generating and that investments in your company are going to generate, how all the different ways that that is going to change me or change society. But I think that there's such big low hanging things there that uh, that is likely it'll, it'll make a difference. But what I want to know is, is, I don't think Craig knew necessarily how it was going to make a lot of money, but he probably thought about drug discovery or something. How are you guys, by cracking the human genome thing, by teaching people to not have that narcissistic thing, how are you going to turn that into a business? Like, like how are people going to pay for this? Or what's it going to build? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is just to say who, who's already interested, right? And, and we have been, you know, privileged to be working with, you know, world-class elite performers in virtually every vertical. And that's from hedge funds and financial traders who want to find the edge uh, for, the, for guys moving large amounts of dollars. And it's not unlike the poker players, right, where, where even, even, even a 1% bump in their impact matters. Uh, special operations community. And, you know, same thing. How do, we, how do we put our teams into group flow so in the real time, live fire combat, those mistakes, those mistakes don't happen and those guys come home alive. Um, you know, leading companies in the tech space, um, leading companies in even professional and management consulting who are pitching seven and eight figure deals and their ability to read a room, their ability to be, to drop into the present moment and their ability to hit that fifth gear instead of grind the gears is going to make the difference. So that's, that's the reflections we're already getting back from the marketplace. Um, that, they, that basically anybody who has already invested in top 10% talent or even top 1% talent um, is desperate to stay ahead and, and wants to use these techniques to train and up-level their people. For us as an organization, it's kind of a three-step model. So what the Flow Dojo represents is it's the world's first research and training center for optimal human performance. And once built, what that allows us to do is A, train elite high performers, right? So anybody who's interested in, in becoming, you know, taking their top top 10% and making the top 1% or beyond, um, that's what we'll be offering. So high-end, deeply immersive, high-impact trainings, right? So that's step one. As we're doing that, we're gathering data. So what happens with most academic research projects is a couple of fail points. One is they're kind of limited in their sample size, so they have to coax and cajole undergrads and, and you know and, and dirt poor graduate students to come through you know one at a time, ten at a time, etc. And uh, you know their sample sizes end up relatively small versus what could we do with large scale impacts. And the other is you know they scrounge together their research money. They're usually doing it in some dank you know academic basement. That their their tools and their technologies are really limited. They're probably you know put together with bailing wire and duct tape. So our sense is what happens if you up the sample size massively and you have thousands and tens of thousands of people coming through and capturing their data? And what happens if you create an absolute bespoke environment, one that is completely designed top to bottom, 
right, to precipitate the very states and experiences that, that we believe are of interest. And for us, it's, it's, it's the flow state. And then can you create it in a modular way that lets, that lets users, that lets us, that lets other researchers shift and combine things in new variations? And then once, you know, as we establish that data set and seed the next generation of research, what's up with an iFlow app? What's the ability to scale as to sort of basically the, the digitization of this such that it's like the X Prize, the Tricorder X Prize, which was the prize to say who could build the single device, right, that could diagnose illness as well as a panel of board physicians. Well, what's the iFlow Tricorder? What is that, that handheld device, likely a smartphone with, you know, minimal peripherals? Right, that lets you get into a flow state. And so it's not just about illness, it's about optimal wellness. So for us, it's the big data play on helping that. It's a, it's a software play um, in being able to create the app. And then you know, if we have unlocked the source code of human motivation, what are the implications? What are the implications for, for, for the, you know, the health insurance company across a portfolio of aging baby boomers that never like to floss their teeth or, or do their push-ups but love to play? What's the opportunity in organizational training? What's the opportunity in education? So there's, there's a, you know, we're basically creating a vertically integrated incubator right, for optimum human performance. And by controlling the spaces and the places, by innovating the gear and the equipment, and gathering really rare and precise data, right, to then convert to, you know, everything from neuromarketing, right, to, you know, wellness 2.0, to a scalable app uh, and software programs that let people anywhere at any time do it. That's kind of, that's our progression. And the Flow Dojo is the, but sort of the crown jewel uh, and the, the hub of that sort of ecosystem. Opportunities here, like different things you could do with this. You could go in, in all those different directions, but I look at Quantified Self and I've spoken at a couple of Quantified Self conferences. I, I've been a fan. I, I did my first stick-on biomonitoring device company in 2003. Um, I started working with a, a Kleiner Perkins-backed company uh, saying, how do you get the data off of a heart rate monitor into the cloud and analyze it so you can look at risk? And, and so that's 12 years ago. And what's happened with Quantified Self is like all these kind of disparate little chunks of data. But like you said, sort of how many points did I get today? It hasn't really come together, partly because the goal of what you do with all the data was sometimes missing. Like the goal is to quantify myself. Well. Okay, now you've got like an extra filing cabinet full of records of yourself, but did you derive value from that? And the answer is, if you used it to motivate yourself to exercise more, which isn't well correlated with looking good compared to eating well, you probably didn't achieve very much. <laughs> but you felt good that you took 10,000 steps a day, like, but it doesn't change anything. And it does change knowledge of yourself. So the idea that we have all these things to say from our friends at Advanced Brain uh, uh, Monitoring, ABM, they have, uh, you know, they're gathering data about brain states. So we're getting little pockets of academic knowledge, but you guys are the first people I've seen who are looking to put it all together, not to make money as a quantified self data portal, like that business model has come and gone, but you're looking to, to pull this stuff together as, what do we do with it to create a state that is really valuable? And then once we do that, how do we spin other potential opportunities out from that? Um, opportunities that I don't think only you are gonna leverage. If this works the way I expect it will, when the knowledge gets out there, there will probably be a hundred startups working at ways to to take this the course of knowledge that comes out from here and, and then to leverage it and yeah there might be neuromarketing people doing evil things there might be 
people like uh, a sociologist looking at ways to encourage behavior change that's positive for people using the same set of knowledge. But it's the set of knowledge that's missing today. And you've just identified enough points, these extreme athletes and chess champions and everything else to get a signal and then all of these biosignals on top of it. So it's a it, it's a harder problem than the human genome problem, I think, because you're you're dealing with the exposome, which is a, a term that Wired magazine published uh, probably about four years ago. And the exposome is the set of all the environmental inputs that we're exposed to throughout the course of our life. And it's way bigger than your genome. And your genome, you can like copy it. You can swab your cheek and get your genome. <laughs> but you can't swab your cheek and get your flow genome. You have to look at your life. And then you have to look at the signals and you have to look at the neurochemistry and maybe even some harder to measure things like, like what are your intrinsic motivations or why are you doing this? And is there an act of service involved here? But putting all that together into a big data system is like a non-trivial thing. And I, I think it's, it's going to take a little bit longer than until 2020, though. Isn't that a bit audacious? <laughs> that is our big, hairy, and audacious goal, for sure. Um, Dave, I got to tell you, I, you know, the bi a biophysical-based flow detector, something that maps the psychology onto the neurobiology onto the physiology, um, which, you know, even when we were first, you know, putting this together five, four or five years ago, sounded kind of crazy. Because networks and sensors are, you know, advancing exponentially, we, five years later, you know, we really, the technology is, it's coming online a lot faster um, than we thought. ABM just, you know, came up with, a pretty good group flow detector, right? Um, and that was something I didn't even think we'd see in our lifetime. And it's, our, you know, we've already, you know, they, they came up with a neat, a neat idea around it and, and got some great results. So the stuff is moving along very, very quickly. There are, you know, measuring neurochemicals in the brain are going to be tricky. There are, you know, there are, there are pain points along the way. Um, but it does seem like when we start con connecting enough of the data together, Right. And, you know, having a big enough sample size, we will get there a lot quicker than we think, because that's what we've seen so far. And, and, and even, I mean, Dave, even, you know, at the Bulletproof event, right, we sort of crowdsourced a bunch of our friends and colleagues, folks in the cardiac measuring space, the neuroelectric space, you know, all across the realm of the best sensors we could get our hands on. And without even programming it, just by having the dojo, right, we, we had this kind of cross-pollination. So suddenly we realized, oh, well, this sensor doesn't work well upside down or with a lot of head movement, but this other one does, and we can get clean data here, and there's an algorithm that lets us cross-reference it. So now we suddenly have cardiac data that's, letting, that's giving us an inferred correlation with is our prefrontal cortex active? And you suddenly see the acceleration and in innovation happening. We just came back from an event where we were co we co-created an event with advanced brain monitoring for a major athletic company and their innovation team. So the innovation team want to know how do we stay on the cutting edge of what's next in, in creativity. And just by having those four or five folks, you know, companies and, and tech folks together playing together, we were starting to break down some of the silos. And, you know, if we get to the place, to, you know, to your point, Dave, that quantified self-data for data's sake means very little. Right. It's that, it's that uh, George, George Dyson, I think, said, he said, you know, basically we entered the era of big data when the cost of keeping it became less than the cost of making the decision. So sort of big, big data by default. Um, you know, our, our intention is, is, is instead of um, just gathering data or metrics or converting them to half-ass, you know, 
patent pending, you know, fuel point. I keep saying that. I shouldn't keep saying that, but you know what I mean. Um, corporately designed ersatz renditions. Um, what we're trying to do is back it up from what you actually care about which is I care about when I feel my best and I perform my best. Let's start with that. Let's have that be the metric. And everything else is just hidden inside. And so when you said it's like it's a tall order and there's all, you know, I forget your term. It wasn't exosome, was it? What, what was the term? It was exposome. Exposome. Um, you know, the Flow Dojo is built very much on sort of uh, Montessori education principles, which is the idea that a deliberately designed environment which takes a hell of a lot of work. It takes all the work you just described, but every user doesn't have to go through it themselves. But once that environment is done, right, and the learner walks in, then their learning experience is effortless and the teacher is invisible. So it's really, it's experiential architecture that we're really excited to be playing because then done right, then the learning is just effortless and inevitable, which is, you know, it should be for a, for a flow place. Well, well I'm, I, I'm, sad that we're up on the end of the show, but I'm happy that I got a chance to hang out with you guys again. And I'm really excited to be backing the Flow Genome Project. And if, if you're on uh, AngelList and interested in this stuff, it's angel.co slash flow-genome-project. You can find out more about this. Uh, and I'm uh, becoming a syndicated investor on AngelList. So that means if you're on there uh, and you like the sort of deals that come across my desk, the ones that I've, I've started backing in a, in a relatively small personal way, uh, mostly to support entrepreneurs that I, I think are, are doing amazing things, um, you, there's an opportunity to do that, including to support Flow Genome. So it's, it's worth checking that out if that's the sort of thing that you're into. And uh, if not, watch what these guys are doing and check out uh, their work. Uh, what is the URL that people should go to, Jamie, uh, to learn more about the Flow Genome Project if they're not interested in the investment side on Angel? Sure, you're welcome to come check us out. Follow us on Facebook at Flow Genome. Uh, check out our website, which is Flow, F-L-O-W, Genome, G-E-N-O-M-E, project.com. And we offer, we're, we're all over the place. We're, we teach and train in different places in the real world. Uh, and we also offer a digital training. So six-week self-paced flow fundamentals. Feel free to jump into that. Um, and, 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 you know, just reach out. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are growing our community around the world of flow hackers. And our, our commitment is to create the largest citizen science project in optimal well-being in history. We're at 6,000 data points. We need to get to 10,000 to crack that mark. And once we do, we want to be able to open source it to the world. So, love to see you there. And right now is the time when I should be asking you what are your top three recommendations for kicking more ass, but I think I've already asked you guys that. So, what are the three easiest things people can do tomorrow to put themselves in a state of flow? Steven. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Um, okay, first thing you're going to need is a helicopter and a couple of elephants. Um, uh, oh, great. I, I've got those. So, look, there are 17 different flow triggers that we've identified. These are preconditions that lead to more flow. All of them are things that drive attention into the moment, right? So anything that grabs and holds your attention deeply, go in that direction. You're liable to find flow there. So the first thing, and, you know, the first thing maybe is go to the Flow Genome Project website and take our free flow profile, and it will tell you which direction in your life you're most likely to find flow. So step one, that's my suggestion. Over to you, Jamie. 
Big deal. All right. <laughs> nice. There's no, no social pressure here. So you just went into flow state when you did that, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think I had two, and now I've only got one, but such is the nature of adrenaline. So, so I think the first one is breathe. Um, most of us forget to breathe and forget to breathe fully. So anytime you're finding yourself in a, in a struggle situation or a tense or stressful situation, return to your breathing and get good, relaxed air exchange. Um, the next would be novelty. Right, go do something new, something different, something that scares you just a little bit. And then potentially lastly, and Dave, I know you're a huge advocate of this, which is nap, sleep. Right? We do not get into flow when our batteries aren't charged and pay just simple attention to your energy levels by recovering and sleeping deeply and cleanly. Nice, recharge those batteries, it's a good idea. Well, guys, thanks for coming on Bulletproof Radio again. I'm sure you'll be guests as you're doing other new stuff. I'm planning to have you guys on regularly because I, I believe in what you're doing. I think it's really important work. And there's a bunch of similarities between what, what you guys are building in the flow genome and what I'm putting in, in my backyard. You know, the Bulletproof Human Hacking Lab here is, is for me and my kids and, and a few of my clients who end up making it up here to Vancouver Island. Um, but I need that novelty in my life in order to perform at the levels that I expect of myself and to do the things that, that I'm doing. Uh, so to build novelty and to have a float tank, <laughs> uh, to have a, a zip line, which yeah, I'm putting a zip line in my backyard and not a small one either. Uh, why? Because like those reasons you just talked about in your reason number three. So I'm, uh, I, I think that the world needs a few more places where people can push their limits a little bit and I'm, I'm looking to live in one of those places. And uh, I think that you're building it so it's accessible to people. And I, I couldn't be more excited about backing you guys. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Dave. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to iTunes and say you like it. And if you already did that, you can do it again. <laughs> and if you already did that, check out a new copy of the Bulletproof Diet book because if you haven't already bought the Bulletproof Diet book, you're missing out because you can learn about how to recharge your batteries so you can be in a state of flow even better. And if you already have the Bulletproof Diet book, it's totally a good idea to buy it and give it to your mom. That's what I did. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.